I'd like to welcome you all to church today. Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing our praises to God.
Father, we are filled with joy today because of who you are, because of all that you've done for us in Christ. We come together in worship today anticipating your spirit with us. And we pray that as we worship, we will know the joy and the presence of Christ. We ask this through Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. couple of things I want to highlight that are in your bulletin and a couple of things that aren't. Um, you'll notice that uh, they're, we're, having a, uh, we're going to be doing baptism on Easter morning. It's been our tradition for a long time. And if you're interested in being baptized, uh, let me know in the next few weeks. We'll have a class in preparation for that. Also, you'll notice that our email addresses are changing for our staff. We have had some uh, issues of hacking and spam and all kinds of things like that, and so we need to change those. So just note that I think they will actually, our, our current addresses will disappear tomorrow. And it's, it's taken us quite a while to, um, to get back on the spamming list, but we're all trying to work hard at doing that. But actually, we're, I'm just kidding. We're trying to stay away from those. Um, but uh, there, we are um, also... The youth group has been doing a 30-hour famine for a number of years through World Relief. But doing that again this year, you will probably hear from them uh, about wanting to sponsor them as they go through this famine. We encourage you to do that. In addition to that, the uh, Wesleyan Kids for Missions group is also putting a, going to be putting a big jar out in the back foyer over the next few weeks. And if you are walking by and you have some change in your pocket or if you have some bills in your pocket uh, that you want to contribute, you can drop them in the jar. And that's all a part of helping to support the 30-hour famine through World Vision. So be looking for that, uh, that jar in the back. It might even be there by the time we're done this morning. But uh, in the next few weeks, it will be there. So please uh, take note of that, and thanks for your help. Also, we're continuing in the community Bible experience, reading through the New Testament during uh, the season of Lent. Uh, we've had a, uh, at least we've had one request of wondering if there are folks who are interested in meeting, maybe for an hour or so a week, to talk about some of the readings, uh, so that we're reading the same things and we come together. If you're interested in knowing more about that, or maybe being a part of a group like that, Um, Let me know in the next couple of days, and we'll see if there are enough people to put something together for that. We're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us as we give back to God from uh, the way he's blessed us with our tithes and offerings. My heart is so proud, my mind is so unfocused, I see the things you do through me, as great things I have done, and now you gently break me, then lovingly you take me, and hold me Father and mold me as my maker. 
ask you how many times will you pick me up when I keep on letting you down? And each time I will fall short of your glory, how far will forgiveness abound? And you answer, my child, I love you. And as long as you're seeking my face, you'll walk in the power of my daily sufficient grace. At times I may grow weak and feel a bit discouraged, knowing that someone somewhere could do a better job for who am I to serve you I know I don't deserve you and that's the part that burns in my heart and keeps me hanging on I ask you how many times will you pick me up I keep on letting you down, and each time I will fall short of your glory, how far will forgiveness abound, and you answer, my child, I love you, and as long as you're seeking my face, you'll walk in the power of my daily sufficient As I walk with you, I'm learning what your grace really means. The price that I could never pay was paid at Calvary. So instead of trying to repay you, I'm learning to simply obey you by giving up my life to like to use the altar as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me.
Father, it is an awesome thing to contemplate your grace. We know how unworthy we are, how undeserving, how often we fall so far short of your designs for us. And we want to believe that your grace has limits, but you keep telling us that it doesn't. And so I pray, Father, that you will you will help us today to see that, yes, there is truth, and yes, you call us to that truth, but your grace is always sufficient. Draw us, lead us in your amazing grace. Father, it's because of your grace that we offer our prayers today. We pray for our own journeys. Some of us are wrestling with what to do with Christ. We're wrestling with believing, surrendering our lives to Christ. Help us to see and to sense and to be drawn to Christ through your grace. Others of us are wrestling to live for you. We're wrestling with our relationships. We're wrestling with sin that just keeps dogging us. We're wrestling with hurt and pain. And Father, let us know your grace to heal and restore and redeem and forgive. We pray, Father, for so many among us who are struggling with the difficulties of life. We pray for friends and family of Bonnie Szymanski, for all who are grieving recent deaths and maybe deaths have happened a long time ago. We ask that you will comfort us in grief, heal our sorrow. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. We ask for your divine healing on Bruce and Jeannie, Donna and Bill, on Bev and Edna and Linda, upon Micah and Bob and Bill, upon Crystal and Emily, and for others. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world many of whom face severe opposition, persecution, threat of death. Strengthen them, encourage them, pour out your spirit upon them, protect them. And we pray that you will inspire us in our faith through what we see in their faith. Lord, thank you for your presence with us today. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer 
these prayers, all of our prayers, in the name and power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who went to the cross for us, the one who rose from the dead to give us new life and has promised to come back for his children. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We'll be reading chapter 20, verses 1 through 19, and I would invite you to stand, please, for the reading of the Gospel. Luke 20, 1 through 19. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, well, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we do not know where it came from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests look for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Stir our affections to love you more. Turn our attentions from this empty world. Help us count all things for your name lost. That we may know you more and the glory of the cross. Come change our hearts. Come change our hearts, come 
change our hearts. Amen.
When we were uh, about to get our dog, we were warned that small animals uh, have an inferiority complex. And they are continually trying to prove that they are tough. So we brought home this dog that's now almost 14 years old and it's about this big. And um, that prediction was proven true. Ever since we brought him home, we have been wrestling with him about um, who's in charge here. And, you know, it, it, we, we are, quite frankly, sometimes we win, sometimes we don't. But one of the issues we've had recently is that uh, he was sick a, a while back, and so we, we in order to help his uh, stomach issues, we fed him some bland human food, and he kind of liked that. And he didn't want to go back to his dog food. And uh, we were having a real battle about this. So, well, last week, uh, Cindy was up in Rochester with her mom and dad at the hospital. And so I was home with the dog. And so I decided that uh, this would be an opportunity for me to show the dog who was boss. So, and I just, so that we get supper time. I, I put out his dog food for him. I went in the other room and I hear this banging, crashing Noises. I mean, just for, you know, 60 seconds, I'm just hearing all these noises and things. And I could hear his, his collar, the stuff on his collar rattling all over the place. I'm hearing these stuff bang around. And I walk back out in the kitchen, and he had strewn that dog food all over the kitchen floor. And he's standing there. You know, you never quite know exactly what these dogs are thinking, but you sort of suspect. He's standing there looking at me like, really, you want to do this? All right, fine. I can do this all day. Come on, give me some more. I'll do it again. I'm in charge here. Well, what struck me about that is that, um, quite frankly, 10-pound canines are not the only ones who struggle with control. You and I do too. Every day, we struggle with control. We struggle about control in our relationships. We struggle about control with our jobs. We struggle about control with God. It is a part of our sinful human nature and the struggle of our nature to want to be in control. And this issue, it didn't start with us. It has been going on since... Sin first entered the world in the Garden of Eden. And one of the prime examples of this issue of control is the passage we read a few moments ago from Luke chapter 20. Here is Jesus. It's the last week of his life. He's in the temple. He's teaching. He's telling people the good news of the kingdom. He's he's trying to help them understand that God is loving and good and he's for them. He wants relationship with them. That they're special to him. I, I, anticipate, I expect him that he may have said what he told the, the people in Nazareth in the synagogue there in Luke chapter 4. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind and, and good news for the poor to bring in the kingdom. Of all the goodness of God. 
And here he is in the temple healing and teaching people the truth about God. And in the midst of that, here come the religious people, the religious leaders. And they come to Jesus and say, hey, who gave you the authority to do this? They aren't paying any attention to the good word that Jesus is giving the people. All they want to know is who's in control here. This is our house. We're in control. What do you think you're doing? All of their life is about control. Everything they think, every way, every way in which they process stuff is about control. And, I, and I, I just think that they look at Jesus and they, and they watch him do what he's doing. They, they listen to him say what he says. And they can't fathom that there isn't somewhere underneath all of this some hidden agenda. Because that's how they operate. For them, it's all about getting control. And surely, that's what Jesus is doing too. It's just a smokescreen for what he really wants, control. So they challenge him. Totally miss all the good stuff and just challenge him about control. And Jesus answers them with a question. It's one of those un-Jesus-like questions, it seems to me. Now, we put Jesus in a box. We, We come to the place where we think, all right, we've got Jesus figured out. This is how Jesus always responds. This is what Jesus always says. This is the way in which Jesus always operates. And then we read the scriptures and we find him doing crazy things that don't fit our boxes. And this is one of those places. We would expect Jesus to respond to them by saying, well, let's talk about this. But instead he says, listen, let me ask you a question. You answer my question, I'll answer your question. Let me challenge you about that. Sounds like something we might do, not something Jesus would do. He says, John the Baptist, was he a messenger from God or did he just make all this stuff up on his own? And I can see the religious leaders saying, just a minute. And they get over into a little huddle and they say, I don't know, what do we say? If we say he's from God, then he's going to ask us, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say he's just made it up himself, the people are going to riot because they believe he's from God and they're going to stone us. And so their answer is, we don't know. See, they understand. If they acknowledge that John is from God, then they have to acknowledge that Jesus is from God because Jesus has clearly connected himself to John. Same message. They're they're doing the same thing. They're They're talking the same language. And so they just say, we don't know. And Jesus says, fine, you're not answering my question. I'm not going to answer yours. And sometimes people don't want a real answer to our questions. They just want us to know they're right and we're wrong. And sometimes the wisest thing we can do is not waste our breath on people because we know they don't really want an answer to their question. They just want us to see how smart they are or they want us to see how wrong we are. But they're not really looking for truth. And so in essence, Jesus says, I'm not going to waste my breath on you. If you really want to know, I'll tell you, but I don't think you do. And then he turns to the people 
And he says, let me tell you a story. And he tells them this crazy story about an owner of a vineyard and tenants. And he goes to get the, what's rightfully his. And they keep throwing the servants out. And finally, they end up killing the son and say, now it's ours. I read that parable and I think, what would make them think that killing the son would cause the owner to say, well, I guess I'll give up and give it to them. I mean, don't, in my mind, I think that would incite him to do what Jesus says he does. I just think they're so blinded by greed and self-centeredness and control that they aren't thinking straight. And when when our goal is control, we don't think straight. We'll do anything to maintain control. Even crazy, stupid things we'll do to maintain control. When life is about, I've got to maintain control, it's amazing the things that people will do. We've done some of them. And the people's response to Jesus is, God forbid. I I used to think they meant, God forbid that the tenants would treat the owner like that. And maybe that's what they're talking about. But I think the God forbid is about, surely the owner wouldn't treat the tenants like that. Because they all know what this parable means. This is not a hidden mystery to them. They know that the owner is God. They understand that. That's not a new thing for them. They know that the owners that the owner is is the owner's God and God is saying there are ways in which you treat me and my people. This is your ways you respond to me. And there are consequences when you don't. And Jesus says, as horrific as it is, it's true. They want to say, surely God wouldn't do that. Surely God, you've been talking about God being full of grace and mercy and love. He wouldn't respond that way. And it's true, God is full of grace grace and mercy and love. But there are still consequences when we reject him. And he says, that's why... That's why when we turn to the cross, this cornerstone upon which everything is based, this, this means of grace and mercy and life, for those who reject it, it becomes condemnation. As I was pondering that this week, I thought, it's one of the great tragedies of life. That what God intended and what God, what God did to bring about freedom and salvation and redemption and grace and mercy and life could actually become judgment for people who reject the cross. And yet it's true. One of the things, one of the reasons we, the church fathers established the season of Lent is to cause us to focus on the cross and to focus and meditate on ourselves 
and to see ourselves in the shadow of the cross and to ask questions like, how am I responding to the cross? When I, when I come to Christ, am I all about control or am I about surrender? What direction is my life headed, toward the cross or away from the cross? And this encounter with the religious leaders and the, and the parable that Jesus tells ought to give us pause about which direction we're headed. If our lives are all about control, if, if this is what we live for is to control, then we're not moving toward the cross, we're moving away from the cross. We only move toward the cross when we surrender. When we give up control. And it's hard for us because we think giving up control is losing. And to some degree it is. It is losing. It's losing our false images of God. It's losing the stress and the pressure of always having to be right. It's losing the pressure and the stress of having to be perfect and of being in control all the time and keeping everything exactly the way we want it to be. That's a lot of hard work. And Jesus is saying there's a better way. Surrender, giving up control is freedom from all of that. Excuse me. So here's the question. How do we do that? How do we surrender? How do we give up control? Let me suggest a couple of things. We give up control by being willing, by being willing to, to learn from unexpected people and unexpected circumstances. We all have ways in which we think God works. Things that we expect. And and we have a tendency to say, that's the way God can speak to me. All it really is, is a means of controlling God. We're saying, God, this is, this is what I expect. This is what I'm, I'm expecting from you. And I've got this figured out, so you just get into my box. And God is continually calling us to be willing to learn from what is unexpected. Particularly, unexpected people. And there are people in all of our lives that we would say, if we're honest, what could I possibly learn from them? Maybe we see them as below us in some way that we describe life. Maybe we, you know, if, if we feel like we're educated, they're uneducated. Or if we say we're uneducated, they're educated. Poor, rich, rich, poor. We know a lot. We don't know much of anything about the scriptures. I mean, young, old, whatever it may be, there are people in our lives that we would hesitate to say, there's not much they could teach me. 
And giving up control is being willing to let God shatter the box and teach us through unexpected people. Maybe it's an author that you disagree with a lot of what they say, but there's something in what they write that God wants to to use to get through to you. I know he's done that to me many times. Maybe it's people who have a different theological perspective. That's that's one I wrestle with because I feel like I've got my theology all figured out. I don't want to hear anything else. I know I'm right. And anyone who's different from me, I know is wrong. It's not that difficult. I'm right. I've got God in the box. And then he keeps whacking on the sides of that box and saying, I've got some other things to teach you. You don't have it figured out. And this person that you don't think has anything to offer you has an awful lot to offer you. Years ago when the railroad was, was big in America, especially in the early part of the 20th century, they built Grand Central Station in New York City and there were porters that worked there. They wore red caps and so they called them red caps. And, and they, were, they were guys who carried bags. They you know, served people any way that they could. They didn't make much money, but it was a job. And most people looked down on them. It's a pretty menial task. One of the guys, Ralston Young, hated his job. He hated it with a passion. In fact, if people asked him what he did, he said he, was, he worked in leather. Because he, that's as close he could get to not lying because he did carry a lot of leather bags. But he didn't want to tell people that's what he did. He was embarrassed and he hated it. And then he encountered Christ and he became a Christian. And he became... Uh, on fire for Christ. And he would talk to people about Jesus and he would see people who were downcast or struggling and he would gently talk to them about Christ, how Christ could work in their lives and he would ask them, can I pray with you? And many of them would say yes. And after a while, people began to come to him because he had a reputation. They called him the red cap preacher. And he would come to him and say, hey, would you pray for me? People getting on and off trains, traveling all over the world, all over the country. He'd say, get on a train and before they get on or get off. And he'd say, they'd say, can I pray? You pray with me. And he'd take them aside and he'd offer a prayer for them. And after a while, they said, you know, we need to do this more systematically. And they found a railroad car that was abandoned and they fixed it up and they'd go over there at different times during the day and ask him to pray for them as groups of people. And as the years went along and his reputation grew, some businessmen got together and said, let's rent some space in downtown Manhattan so Ralston can come and we can gather together and he can pray for us. And he can teach us about how to be a follower of Christ. It's an amazing story. And I, I get, I am so impressed by this man who was so on fire for Christ that he had this reputation for praying with people. But I'm almost more impressed by the fact that there would be businessmen who would ask a porter to teach them how to pray and how to follow Christ. And they would come to him and say, help us. unexpected people God may bring into our lives that he wants to shatter our boxes and help us let go of control 
to teach us. And the other thing I would say is that I think there is a sense of embracing what's uncomfortable. There is in both of these a sense of openness. But sometimes we get so comfortable with how life, how we live life and how God operates in our lives that we don't really believe that anything else could be used by God to speak to us. And we judge what we feel is, makes us uncomfortable. We do that with worship. We do that with how we study the word. We do that with how we practice our faith. We like what's comfortable. We have our favorite chair we sit in. We have our our favorite restaurants we go to eat in. We have our favorite places that we visit. We like what's comfortable. And we feel that way about God. And it's a way of controlling God. And God is continually nudging us about feeling uncomfortable. There's a... Donald Miller, who uh, some of you probably have read, Blue Like Jazz and other books, and he has a, the ability to challenge the church in, in ways. And, and I like a lot of the things that he writes. They convict me, but I like the things that he says. But recently in one of his blogs, he wrote that he is basically, he has no interest in being a part of a church. You know, I don't want to come to worship. That's not how I learn. I don't want to sit and sing and listen to a sermon and pray with people. That's just not how I learn, he said. And I read that and I thought to myself, I think he's missing something here. Because it's that, if you interpret that, it's, it's all about me. Now, of course, the minute I said that, God quickly convicted me about all the times when I've thought it's all about me. And I've thought about the times when you know, we're on vacation and we go to other churches and the whole time I'm sitting there judging everything they do. Why are they doing that? What is that about? We don't do it like that. We don't do it that way when we're home. That's crazy. And I walk out getting nothing. Because I spent the whole time judging what was going on. It made me, a lot of it made me feel uncomfortable. I didn't like it. And then God whacks me upside the head and says, what are you thinking? I had some stuff there I wanted to say to you and you missed it completely. Because you were all in your judgmental spirit. We all do that. It's It's just a way of controlling God. And I wonder what kinds of uncomfortable circumstances God may want to put you in and put me in to teach us, to challenge us, to help us grow. None of us grow without without encountering uncomfortable things. You just can't do it. And the call of the cross is this willingness to, to let the uncomfortableness that God leads us to, to challenge us. I mean, the cross is all about humility and servanthood and sacrifice and giving up. And the Christ who goes to the cross and, and sacrifices everything, calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. To let go, give up control. Craig Barnes says that 
writes in one of his books that, you know, we, we all have these moments ever so often in life where it feels like everything is exactly the way we want it. Family's good, our health is good, our friends are good, the job is good. Everything is, is, just, is just right. And, and we want to say, okay, nobody move. This is, this is exactly what we want. Let's just stop. And he says, you probably better take a picture because it's not going to last. Because God knows that, first of all, life doesn't stay that way. But he also knows if we're just going to stop right where we are, we'll never be what he wants us to be. And he's going to bring more challenges to abandon ourselves because he's not content with us just being what we are. He wants us to be so much more. And the challenge of giving up control isn't because God has this control fetish. It's because God wants us to let go and and let him control us because what he offers us is so much more than we could ever dream or imagine. Giving up control feels like losing, but it's really winning. Giving up control is is, is letting go of, of what's comfortable and expected in order to experience what is the what the awesome things that God has for us. It's only in the control of God can we know joy and peace and life and all that we were created to be. And we're continually fighting against it. It's like the guy who went to the doctor because he wasn't feeling well. And the doctor did all the tests for him. And he came in and he said, look, if you want to restore your health, you need to cut down on the sweets and you need to exercise 30 minutes every day. And the guy looked at the doctor and he said, okay, what's the second best thing I can do? And that's us. God wants us to be whole, healthy, alive. And it's only one way to surrender, to give up. To bow at the cross. And to give Christ our lives. Heavenly Father, you know our struggle with control. And you know how our desire to control is pulling us away from you and everything you offer us. So, Father, give us grace to let go. Put your finger on the one thing right now in our lives that we are holding on to and give us grace to open our hands and to trust you.
pray this through Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.